fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 132 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and this week we're returning to the theme of travelling sustainably inspired by COP27 where I don't know if you saw this uh, particularly uh, enjoyable clip of, uh, of, of news footage where sewage put at risk the smart footwear of our esteemed representatives and um, the vast limos and private jets which uh, turned up in Egypt seemed at odds with the messages of restraint and consideration for our global climate. Still, as we know, the old doctor's motto of do as I say, not as I do, has been embraced enthusiastically by politicians. Well, most of them. Anyway, today we're going to try and find five practical ways of making our travel more morally defensible. And um, I have rudely failed to introduce our guest, who is Anna Hughes. Hello, Anna. And where are you talking to us from? Hi, Mick. Hi, Simon. Thanks for the invitation to join you. I'm actually joining you from my narrowboat, currently moored at Tottenham on the River Lee. Ah, gosh, how nice. Can you describe the scene? Yes, how exciting. Uh, yeah, it's um, a fairly damp morning, but it's nice and bright here at Tottenham. Um, there's quite a lot of boats floating at the moment. Um, it's a bit, it's fairly calm. Um, uh, quite a lot of coots around. Uh, they're a quite annoying um, water bird that makes lots of noise. <laughs> Not the boater's friend. <laughs> oh, really? Do they? Is is that because they wake you up? I mean, I know they make a kind of really strange sort of, sort of peeping, but, pinging noise, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. They make kind of barking noises, knocking noises, as you say, pinging noises. And yes, they have been known to wake me up many times. They don't seem to ever sleep. Anna, I suppose this is rather on the point of our green travel, but do you actually use your narrow boat for travelling from place to place or is it a home on the uh, River Lee up, up Tottenham Way? It's, a, it's my home, but I also travel around in it. So it, I don't have a mooring, uh, which means I have to move on every couple of weeks. So I'm kind of a bit of a nomad um, and I go up and down the River Lee, typically between Hartford and all the way down to Limehouse, where the Lee meets the Thames. Um, so that's kind of my cruising pattern. Uh, lots of people hire them for holidays, which I would heartily recommend. I think it's such a wonderful way to see the world. And if we're talking about slow travel, which we will be later, this is the very epitome of slow travel. I mean, you can't get much slower than a narrowboat. Well, um, uh, the reason you're here, Anna, of course, is because you are director of Flight Free UK. And, well, we spoke to you and it seems so far in the midst of time, it was um, 2020. So pre-energy crisis, pre-Putin's um, war, pre-proper Brexit. And you said at the time that you hadn't flown for many years. Is that still the case? And don't you feel that you're missing out now that we're all back in the skies? That is still the case, Simon. Yes. So I haven't flown since 2009, I think. And I'm sure I said this when I came on your podcast before that not not flying doesn't mean not traveling. So I certainly don't feel that I'm missing out. Um, I, I mean, we all missed out on travel because of COVID, right? So we're all kind of getting back to that. But for me, it's not getting back in the skies. It's getting back on boats, getting back on trains. And I have just returned from a lovely weekend in Jersey. Um, I took the ferry, the fast ferry from Poole um, over to Jersey and had a lovely weekend. And um, it was a delight. 
Very, very pleased to um, hear it. I'm, I, I'm afraid to say I'm just back from Singapore. Obviously, I went in um, uh, economy class. It was quite <laughs> extraordinary to see the business class suites that I had to mm. walk through. Effectively, what they do is they, they kind of build some kind of capsule hotel or indeed um, upmarket youth hostel um, in the front of the plane. And all the passengers were, were piled down the back. And it was a very jolly multicultural um, group of uh, people down the back and don't know who was out in the front but I think most of it was um, w- w- was empty and as it's confession day um I must admit to having spent a very nice week uh, in Mallorca or on Mallorca and I think uh, it would have taken me pff, about a week to get there by uh, uh, overland and uh, ferry um but I went by plane and um, a very good experience it or was. But um, Anna, I just wanted to ask you what Flight Free actually does. So we're a charity and our mission is to reduce emissions from aviation. Uh, There are two aspects to our work, one of which is to inform people of the climate impact of aviation. And the second one is to inspire them to travel by other means. So we are really focusing on individual behaviour. We're talking to consumers. We're trying to make sure that they understand the climate impact of their travel with the mind to making a lower carbon choice. And part of that is giving that the practical information and the inspiration for that travel. So, for example, with Mallorca, I'm planning to go there next year uh, by train and by ferry and by bicycle. And yes, it will take longer than the flight, but that's all part of it. I can't wait to sit on that train and go past the flamingos in southern France and arrive in Barcelona. I've never been to Barcelona and have one or two nights there. So that's an addition. That's an extra bonus to my holiday. And then get on the ferry, have a relaxing journey across the Mediterranean to Mallorca, a wonderful island that is a fantastic cycling destination. I've never been there. I'm really excited. And that is all part of the joy of it. Well, let's go back in time to our podcast from 2019, December of that year. Little did we know what was coming down the track towards us. Uh, The podcast was called Can You Fly With A Clear Conscience? We went to Gatwick Airport, which of course has many flights to Mallorca, to discuss the matter. Here's an extract. One of the many new phrases that have come along with this um, increased awareness of the problem is uh, that um, air travel is the new coal. Yes, and that's such a good way of putting it, the new coal. Yeah, in the last decade, we were getting very upset about coal. Um, in fact, if you go back to the 1980s and even the 1970s, we were getting upset about coal in a, a different way, which was that there wasn't enough coming out of the ground to, um, uh, to power our industries. <laughs> but, um, but, but there we are. The, um, you know, the world moves on. Um, and aviation is very, very much uh, in the frame because... You have all kinds of things, and I think there's quite a lot of emotion tied up in this as well, um, in that flying is still seen as the preserve of the rich. Certainly some aspects of flying most definitely are. Um, So business class, uh, there's a very good um, uh, publicity from um, an airline called Wizz Air recently who said uh, you should stop 
business travel within Europe. Any flight shorter than five hours, you shouldn't have uh, business class on. And that was a good move by this um, Budapest-based airline, which flies many, many people around every year. Of course, it never has had a business class, and um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an easy target for it to make. Is, can I just ask why? I mean, I, is, is that because... Well, you the, don't get so many people taking up a much larger space yes, on the plane. So, so, so the, the, um, what we're looking at, and my, my kind of view of mitigation, is that you have to minimise the carbon output per person. And if you take British Airways' version of business class in Europe, which is simply to take the front part of an Airbus A320 and leave the middle seats unoccupied, then, by definition, you're reducing the number of people who could travel on that aircraft and you're increasing the per-person output of carbon, particularly for those people who are in business enjoying someone not being next to them. I was struck by um, a, a clip of an interview with uh, the well-known uh, actor, actress, Emma Thompson, when she flew in from the United States to take part in the Extinction Rebellion protests. And she was asked, did she think it was a rather hypocritical thing that she'd done? And she said, absolutely not. Um, I've planted loads. I've had, I've paid to have lots of trees planted to offset my flight. Um, and uh, she was then asked, and did you fly business class? And she said, absolutely. I'm certainly not changing that. I'm far too old to, um, to, to stop flying business class. And I thought, well, I thought, hmm. Well, sorry, Emma, but uh, there is a question which I still haven't um, resolved in my own mind, which is one that I'm going to uh, put to you, uh, Anna, which is offsetting. I mean, it seemed um, a kind of brilliant idea for a while. You plant a tree for every kilometre you fly or whatever it is. Um, But is it actually uh, something of a joke now? I mean, is it actually what you might call greenwashing? Yes, I think it is greenwashing. And people do ask us at Flight Free UK, should I, you know, if I really have to take that flight, should I offset? And actually, our advice is, if you really have to take that flight, then proudly own the emissions and don't offset. If you feel uncomfortable owning the emissions, then what does that say about the value of the flight? Now, a lot of the problems come from the efficacy of the offset. So there have there has been a study um, in the in recent years that revealed that 85 percent of the offset schemes that it looked at were ineffective. So that's that's a huge greenwash. Um, um, Sorry, can I interrupt, yeah. Anna? When you say ineffective, does that mean they were just not acted on? Like they, yes, there are... X, X airlines said they were going to um, plant Y number of trees, and actually they didn't, or just yeah, that it so... doesn't really work. It's a mixture. So some of them could have been not acted on. Some of them could have been um, existing schemes that were already accounted for somewhere else that were then double counted from this new offsetting scheme. Um, It could be a, let's imagine, a monoculture plantation of trees, which... uh, which obviously does absorb carbon in the growth once the trees have grown, but the actual net effect is um, degradation of the soil. Um, the monoculture ex- it removes biodiversity, which which is bad for the um, planet overall. So, 
and a lot of it is kind of a moral question as well. So I'm going to pay someone else somewhere else to reduce their emissions just so I can keep on emitting mine. You mentioned earlier, Anna, about your um, proposed trip to Mallorca by um, uh, train and ferry and bicycle as well. Um, is it possible these days to actually properly uh, assess whether or not your um, low carbon trip to somewhere is actually a, a proper alternative to flying. I only wonder because um, we once thought about going by train down to the Spanish Pyrenees. That was Simon and I to walk in the Spanish Pyrenees. And it was actually so complicated to try and do it, even by train, that we roughly assessed that uh, what with um, taxis, almost certainly diesel taxis taking us um, miles into the mountains, etc., etc., that that it would in fact probably be worse for the planet to um, uh, do it by train or, or plane. But is there actually any kind of proper a carbon calculator, they used to call them. I don't know if they still do. Any accurate way of assessing your green footprint? Yeah, yes and no. I suppose accurate is a difficult word when all we can go on are estimates and averages. But generally, when you're looking at tra train travel, especially high-speed rail travel in Europe, compared to a flight, you're looking at a 90% saving on your emissions. So. Uh, and you can work this out. So I use the website raileurope.co.uk and whatever journey you are taking, it will always tell you your carbon saving. And it has a an article which explains how they work it out. Um, and the illustration is you'll be in single figures for a for, for your train journey in terms of your carbon dioxide, um, kilograms of carbon dioxide, but for a flight, you might be in three figures. So it really is a huge, huge saving, <laughs> helped not, not in any small way by the fact that uh, TGV, which is the French high-speed train, is powered mostly by super green uh, nuclear power. So and, and that also obviously is controversial and has its detractors and we can talk about nuclear power another time but um yeah so generally that's the the way even here in the UK where we still run diesel trains the emissions are still lower um by a factor of maybe 6 um so yeah we're the the savings are huge um and i mean even with the taxis, you probably have to take taxis when you if you took a flight as well, right, to get to your final destination. I imagine so. You know. uh, well, actually, it's a fair point, but actually, as it happened, we would have got there in time to be able to get the last bus. If oh. we'd, uh, <laughs> I see. Okay. It, so, yeah. So the logistics so, are a bit tricky. Yeah. So it, I. Well, the logistics. I suppose it. I suppose what it suggests is that actually every journey is different um, yeah, which is absolutely. a fairly obvious thing to say isn't it and uh, and uh, assuming that you don't have a, a limitless amount of time then um you have to kind of bear that in mind as yeah. well but and, anyway that's I um, mean, yeah yeah a lot of the narrative is about oh but how do i get to xxx place well sometimes the answer is don't go to xxx place choose a different place that's closer and that will be just as enjoyable um for other reasons and yeah i mean there is a whole world out there, 
But there's also a lifetime of travel on our doorstep, which we can access by low carbon means. We're here, Anna, and it's late November and there's an awful lot of people just thinking it's dark, it's cold, it's miserable. <laughs> the UK is crumbling as we as we speak. And therefore, all I want is a bit of sunshine and I'm going to get on that plane. And they're further. And I've talked to a number of people in the aviation about industry about this. They say, and obviously I'd love to know your percentage. They say 2.7%. Um, that's all that aviation contributes. And it's as though, uh, well, going back to our Gatwick discussion, Flying has become the new coal. It's now being held responsible for all the ills of, um, of of climate change. Where actually, perhaps the problem is that there's well now eight billion of us um, on the planet, and it's humanity of which you know, aviation is a significant, but still ultimately very small contributor to it. It's it's basically humanity that's um, causing the problem, not the fact that Mick Light's going to Mallorca on a plane. Yeah, I mean, yes, there are now 8 billion of us, which is actually a huge problem. We have a finite planet, it has finite resources, there's finite space, and yet we keep on adding numbers that will use and possibly abuse those resources um so yeah in in terms of the in terms of the number of people on the planet we we are definitely putting our our fragile life sort resource on uh, uh, under a lot of strain by there being so many of us um it's it's difficult because we need to be doing everything so yes we need to look at population yes we need to look at energy use yes we need to look at consumerism the reason that we choose to look at aviation is because it's it is something that arguably for lots of people is not essential necessarily um you you mentioned 2.7 percent or, or whatever it is there have been studies recently that show or articles that show um it's it's closer to 3.5 when you take into the account that carbon emitted high in the atmosphere has a radiating effect so it has more of a global warming effect than uh, co2 emitted at ground level so uh, it, it has it contributes more, a bit more of a share still sounds pretty low 3.5 percent still sounds pretty low but on an individual level when we look at our own habits if you fly it's very likely that those flights will make up the largest chunk of your emissions and if you are critical about it there it's those flights are probably where you can make the most savings the easiest the fastest and without really affecting your overall quality of life for example, we all have to eat. We all have to heat our homes. We all have to clothe ourselves. Do we all have to take five foreign holidays a year? Probably not. Anna, earlier this month, we had the World Travel Market in London, the first kind of really big scale get together, notable for a couple of things. The first one is an awful lot of talk about the benefits of tourism for spreading wealth from richer countries to poorer countries. And the other thing is um, Saudi Arabia of all places, is taking the lead, it says, in terms of um, green travel. It's creating this massive new resort called Neom, which is um, effectively their answer to Sharm El Sheikh on the Red Sea. And they are saying, um, look, we're doing this in a really sustainable way. We are, we are the new green heroes. Um, 
How do you react to that? This is possibly the hardest question, actually, Simon. So, yes, you are right. Tourism has brought many benefits to many communities around the world. And if we did stop flying, like we did during COVID, lots and lots of people would lose their livelihoods and miss and lose out. There, there is actually no way of putting the genie back in the bottle when it comes to tourism. And that is a massive challenge for us. We need to address that because actually it's not all sunshine when it comes to tourism. There are lots of places that suffer from over tourism. There are lots of uh, communities that used to rely on traditional ways of life, businesses, um, methods of s- survival. I think that's probably a bit of a simplistic way to put it, but um, and, and that now rely on tourism simply because we go there. Also, uh, you mentioned the green resorts now in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure it is incredibly sustainable and a wonderful example of how ecotourism is uh can be a force for good however how are people going to get to Saudi Arabia by plane so actually the benefit of going to an eco resort is completely negated by the emissions from the flight that gets you there not to mention the um, considerable human rights uh, issues involved in a trip like that but that's straying straying beyond um, our our current uh, (laughs) Uh, discussion. I think we're getting to that um, that that part of the podcast, which um, always reminds me of um, a Radio Four debate in which the presenter blithely says, um, "Well, we could go on talking about this till uh, this time tomorrow." Um, but um, for now, from me um, anyway, I think it's probably time to um, try and distill a few um, gems from what I found a really interesting chat and. Um, can I bring to your attention um, five top suggestions, which I got from um, a very good, I thought, Witch magazine article earlier this year. So well done, uh, Witch. And it had um, five top suggestions for um, travelling in a more sustainable and greener way. Uh, and I just wondered whether if you had these five, whether you would agree with them or um, or replace them. So here we are. Here's number one. Find a responsible tour operator. I'd agree with that. But it's in particular, I want somebody to help me to do the Anna Hughes responsible thing and get to Mallorca sustainably. But I kind of know it's going to give me a headache trying to put together all those things. And I would like somebody who is just going to say, um, here you are, here's all your trains and ferry reservations and um, all very straightforward. And here's the price, although I fear the price might be a bit more than the flight. Do you do, you do that, Anna, or, or not? So- so we don't do that, um, but there are travel agents who do. Uh, so one that we particularly recommend is Byway.travel, and they are a 100% flight-free travel agent, and they will do exactly what you just said, Simon. They'll plan everything for you, tailor it to you, and then let you know how much it costs. <laughs> That's Byway.travel. The second recommendation from which, which I was a bit surprised by, was Eat Local. Um, that seems to be quite a good one, actually, just because our emissions from food are very high. Um, that's, that creates a huge proportion of our of our global emissions food. So if you can uh, source your food locally from the local market or from a street seller, those kinds of things, I actually find that that gives you a better cultural experience as well, which is obviously one of the reasons we travel. So that's quite a nice one. Well, number three is choose less polluting airlines. Oh, my uh, how goodness. How do you do that? 
Well, if I may answer this rather than Anna, because she quite reasonably, she'd explain rather that we we didn't fly. But um, it's very easy to identify the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys, and people aren't going to like this particularly, are <laughs> basically Ryanair. They've got um, a modern fleet, very efficient, and crucially, they fill pretty much every single seat on their planes. So your impact is much lower per person than if you're on a an airline that doesn't have such a focus on filling their planes and more particularly has an enormous business class cabin and yeah. in, it tends to be an older plane although we have seen during covid that all the old really bad gas guzzling 747s have been flown off to the desert to um, effectively serve out their days going nowhere Oh, but I'd like to um, make a point about Ryanair, which is aren't they continually trying to um, persuade us to fly to European destinations for our um, our stag do's, our weekend breaks, our hen parties and things when um, uh, quite reasonably we could have gone by train, but they have actually uh, created a whole new tranche of um, of, of business. Very, very good point. And of course, they've done that because they want to fill their planes. So they have this policy called um, load factor active yield passive. That means we will cut the fares to whatever we need to to fill up our planes. And if that means that your stag do is going to be held in somewhere you can't pronounce or spell in Eastern Europe um, rather than um, down your local pub, then so be it. Uh, so, yeah, very good point, Mick. Well, it says that's pure poetry, Simon. Can I remember that again? What was it? Load, load factor, load factor active, i.e., they want to fill up their planes. Yield, that's the fare, uh, passive. So whatever they need to charge to fill up those planes is what they will they will ask for it. Right. Uh, number four <laughs> in our list uh, is take the train. Well, I know you would uh, agree with that. Are trains always um, uh, a totally positive thing, um, Anna? Because um, I have read that, for example, if you travel by train in, uh, I'm going to have to finger Poland here, uh, that actually the um, Polish electricity grid is uh, powered by one of the most polluting coal-fired power stations um, in Europe. Uh, so d- should we bear that in mind? Yes, there can be considerations with the trains um, in terms of how they're powered. And as I mentioned earlier, many UK trains still use diesel, which isn't great. But overall, yes, they will always be lower than uh, the equivalent flight, even the diesel-powered ones. And I suppose the the overall picture here is that we can decarbonize the electricity grid much more easily than we can develop so-called sustainable aviation fuel. And number five, keep tours and souvenirs ethical. Uh, I wondered about this one, but um, it did occur to me that when I went with the kids to a, a water park in the Yucatan in Mexico, we went swimming with dolphins, which was great fun. Uh, but I wonder if indeed that would have counted as an ethical um, thing to do. I think anything involving captive animals these days is best avoided. And of course, more positively, um, take a local's tour um, introducing you to the community that you are visiting rather than just sitting in a big air-conditioned bus being driven around with a um, a tour guide from uh, somewhere else entirely. The only thing I would add is that it's very common for companies to come up with top five ways to be greener. 
Um, and it's nice that they put take the train as number four. <laughs> I would probably put that as number one. And and I would avoid comparing airlines to each other, even though, as you explained, Simon, there are savings to be made. But ultimately, it does make people think that any airline is green, which it isn't. We, we do need to be talking very clearly about um, about completely rethinking the way we do tourism. And, um, and maybe number one should be be hyper local and be a tourist in your own city for example you know that that would be a very creative way to to have to get our travel fix while protecting where we live which almost takes us back to the dark days of covid but um anna it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you um of course anna is the director of flight free uk and the very good website is flightfree.co.uk and of course here at you should have been there we always love to hear your comments about what we have been discussing so let us know your flight free plans you can tweet us at you should have bt or you can leave an audio message which we love at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there so it's time to say um thank you so much anna and thank you to your coots as well for um <laughs> keeping very quiet while we've been talking and um until next week from me mick webb and me simon calder goodbye goodbye and from me anna hughes goodbye mm-hmm.